Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're joined by two guests this week, both back for return visits. Andrew Bergman is a novelist, playwright, occasional movie producer, and a celebrated screenwriter and director whose work includes the film's Soap Dish. Oh God, You Devil, and the original Fletch, as well as the classic comedy that we've discussed previously on this very podcast, 1979's The In-Laws. He also wrote and directed the features Honeymoon in Vegas, So Fine, It Could Happen to You, Isn't She Great?, Striptease and the Freshman. Norman Steinberg is an Emmy-winning TV writer, screenwriter, and writing teacher with numerous credits on situation comedies, variety shows, comedy albums, and feature films such as Yes, Giorgio, Wise Guys, Funny About Love, Johnny Dangerously, and the movie that we love to talk about on this show, the terrific 1982 comedy, My Favorite Year. Between them, they've worked with some of entertainment industry's admired performers such as George Carlin, Alan Arkin, Peter O'Toole, Peter Fulk, Madeline Kahn, Alan Olda, Michael Keaton, Bette Midler, Gene Wilder, George Burns, Burt Reynolds, Luciano Pavarotti, and Marlon Brando. Back in the early 1970s, they joined forces with Mel Brooks and Richard Pryor to write the screenplay based on Andrew's original story for a movie currently celebrating its 45th anniversary. The iconic Western spoof 
Blazing Saddles. Please welcome back to the podcast two nice Jewish boys from Queens and Brooklyn and two of the men responsible for arguably the funniest film comedy ever made, Andrew Bergman and Norman Steinberg. I'm speechless. Are you? <laughs> he got some of that right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the part I'm speechless about. Yeah. yeah. That was great. That was great. Welcome back, boys. Good Andrew to be here. Andrew was here in March. Norman, it's been a while. Yes. Yes. You were in the old joint. I know. The old space. I in the in the old space. But, yeah. But this sumptuous. This is gorgeous. This is yeah, unbelievably this is, beautiful. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> the sarcasm has started. And Nor- by the way, the brisket. Fabulous. Yeah. You're happy with the brisket? <laughs> they lay out a yeah. buffet here that's yeah. just <laughs> fantastic. Now we probably asked you both before, but just a quick uh, one of how you two got into show business in the first place. Andrew, you can go first. That's a very good question. I I got into show business. Uh, I had a PhD in American history, and I couldn't get a teaching job. And I had written this story about a black sheriff in the Old West. Um, and I got a job at United Artists as a uh, very inept PR guy for a year. And during that period of time, I somehow sold this story to Warner Brothers, much to my amazement and delight. And one thing led to another, and eventually, as these things always do, it became a hit movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now your little, turn. Norman? I, I, I did something that probably n- none of you have done. I was in the Army. <laughs> You're <laughs> I, correct. I, I was That's the same bet. After law school. I went to law school. Passed the New York bar exam, and I had a job as a lawyer at 57th Street and 7th Avenue, and uh, I would go there every day. I was making $100 a week. That, That's good money. Out, yeah, Not bad. Money. Yeah. In the 1960s. And every morning I would go downstairs to Chalk Full of Nuts, and there was Mel Brooks. And I started pulling on his jacket. And saying, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. And he would put his hands on my shoulders and look deeply into my eyes and say, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I didn't. And, and I hope Mel will be listening to this because uh, we both came out of that Mel Brooks universe. Yeah. Um, he's, and, he's, the, he's the reason you both met. Yeah. yeah. Well, certainly yeah. the reason yeah. we met. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh one day he ju- he just said you're a real pain in the ass. And here, call <laughs> this guy who is a producer of Get Smart. And I called him and he and Mel indeed had called him and said this kid wants to be a writer. And he said he tells me you want to be a writer, so write something. Write an episode for Get Smart, which I did. And I sent it to him. A week later, they called uh, one of the writers on Get Smart, Chris Hayward. Chris Hayward. I know that name. Great, great guy. And he said, if the show is picked up, which it wasn't, if the show is picked up, we'll buy the script. And so I went in the next day and quit being a lawyer. 
that was it. That was my start. You were officially in show business. Officially in show business. That was pretty amazing that Mel Brooks did that. He, listen, he is, uh, for all his brashness, and he is at, at base uh, a wonderful man. Who, He's a loyal guy. Yeah. He is a loyal guy. And he loves, he protects writers. He protected us. I mean, and both Andy and I uh, were in his face. Mm -hmm. And he took it. He said, we, we immediately became, because we didn't know what the hell we were doing. No, not, that was the good news that none of us knew what the hell we were doing. <laughs> I mean, he could have had me, you know, I'd written this script like 140 pages. Tex-Ex. No margins, right. Tex-Ex. Right. And uh, the Senate, Warner Brothers had bought it, and, and originally uh, Alan Arkin was going to direct it, and James Earl Jones was going to play the sheriff, and that fell apart, and so they went to Mel. And, and the first thing that Warner's executive said, well, you'll lose the original writer. You know, you dump Bergman, and you, you get some guys. But he wouldn't do it. He said, I want, to, I want him to work with him. And, I, you know, I was 27. I was n beyond nobody. I was sub-nobody, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's something I will never forget. I heard him say that he was trying. His original impulse was to have you normalize the other guys in the room, and then he realized you, were, was, the, you were the craziest I one. Was, I was <laughs> 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 no, yeah. No, yeah. I, I was down in Acapulco with him. I got a job on a on a special. Mm -hmm. They called it. it was Aquacade in Acapulco. That was a hell of a show. I love yeah. that title. <laughs> what was Aquacade in Acapulco? <laughs> Everybody memorable. We had. <laughs> Tony Randall, uh -huh. uh, uh, Ed, Ed, uh, Johnny's side. Oh, Ed, Ed McMahon. McMahon. And, and Stiller and Mira. Jan Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jan and, Pierce. and the Aquamaniacs <laughs> and special guest star Mel, Mel Brooks. And so I'm, suddenly I'm working with him. And he, and we, we just, he would tell tales at, at dinner, and it was the greatest. And at the end of the 10 days in Acapulco, he said, I got this script. Read it and tell me if you think it's funny. And it was Andy's script. And I, I said, I, I think it's hilarious. He said, great. Meet, we'll meet down at this restaurant in, in, uh, on Houston called Bellato's. With him and Ann Bancroft, who was pregnant at that point with Max. Max, yeah. And he's like, what, 42 now? Something like I that. I found out in my research he was born during the movie. Yes, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that was, uh, and he said, okay, come on, you're going to do it, and uh, the guy who wrote this is going to be there. And that's where Andy and I met. In that restaurant or in the, no, in no, the, in in the writer's in, room for the first time? Uh, I wasn't allowed in that restaurant. You weren't allowed. <laughs> It's a pretty high-class restaurant. You guys have been friends ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, do you remember, do you have a vivid memory of the initial meeting? I do. I, have a, I, I certainly remember the first time we all gathered in that room. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was, you know, we were feeling each other out, uh -huh. for sure. And I'd never written a thing except for this this first uh, draft. Um, and I wasn't thinking of myself as a comedy writer, per se. I was a writer. Um, but it, it, Mel, Mel made me feel I remember the, the first night after I met with me he called me at home I was my wife was at she, when I came back she said um, Mel Brooks called I said God I wonder what he wants <laughs> he said so it wasn't so terrible with me right 
I'm not such a monster. <laughs> that was great. It was so brilliant. I mean, it was so brilliant. It's kind of. I mean, I was, you know, whatever, 27. 27. Yeah. You, you said it was yeah. like playing tennis with Borg and Lendl and Well, like Borg and then particularly when Richie Pryor came in. Yeah. You know, and there's, I've, never, and I've written a PhD yeah. dissertation. Now I'm writing comedy with Mel and Richie and Norman. And it was really like, you know, you're up with, uh, you know, Fetter and, and, and those guys. Incredible. So let's hit, let's hit with Why was it like working with Pryor in the writer's room? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I mean, he was he was such a mashugana and so, <laughs> but such a lovely person. I mean, he really was. He was he was. You never knew which Richie was going to show, but it was never like a really hostile Richie. He was just he was all over the place. And certainly coked up and cavoisier up. <laughs> <laughs> but he would come up with some. One day he just disappeared and showed up like dressed as the maid. I was just going to ask you about started, that and yeah. started dusting <laughs> yeah. the room. Well, the way. <laughs> I'll never forget, the, the day that Mel called his agent to get him to work with us, would he work with us, Mel phrased it in the following way, listen, we have four Jews sitting in a room, we need someone to come in and do the windows. That was, <laughs> that was tactical. <laughs> and he was, he was in the room like three days later. And, and didn't he disappear to like, well, he disappeared a few to times. To Detroit. Richie, Richard? Yeah. He, he didn't keep bankers' no, hours. You know, we didn't think that he would be uh, as a compulsive Jew writer. He wouldn't be yeah. Babalu and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he worked and he, 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 showed, he, showed, he up. showed up and he was hilarious. Yeah, but and I, I was sort of his, uh, his I, I was his companion because I would go with him at night. And I, one night we went to the Tonight Show. And my friend Steve Landisberg was on the show that night. Funny guy. And he wanted to, Richie wanted to see Steve. So we went there and there, there, Richard was in the room and in the green room and talking the way he talks with this motherfucker. And, and, <laughs> and there's a guy, a guy comes over to him, kind of big guy, and says, uh, hey, pal. Take it down a notch because there are women here. He was from the Sierra Club, and Richard said, "I'm gonna kick your ass." And I had to take him out of the out of the room, out of the room. And uh, I mean, that's uh, I I would meet him at night, and we'd go somewhere. But I, I in in fact, the first day he came in with, we were he was late. Well, and we're well. sitting there. <laughs> Everybody's late. Mel was late every day. He said, he had trouble shaving. He said, he, really, he needs to really get his face really wet before he can shave. That's why he was 40 minutes late. Mel? Yeah, that's hilarious. Now, but didn't prior one time, he wasn't at the meeting, and he called up from Detroit. Well, Michael Hertzberg mm-hmm. tells that story in the documentary, that, he, that he, he wound up calling in and he said he needed money to get home. Does he this ring in, a bell? I think he was in Chicago. Okay. He needed train fare. Okay. <laughs> train fare? <laughs> Trains. He yeah. wasn't well, flying. Well, on the, on the, on the, uh, the commentary, <laughs> Mel says when he hired him, he said, I'm coming by train. You'll have some Remy Martin for me. Right? Yeah, I thought was, he was a Kavassier. He was a Kavassier. Okay, so, so Mel got it wrong. It huh? But no, he didn't want to fly. The first day we he came in, we all, we were... Brought him up to speed. It was it was about noon, and Mel was saying, "Here's what we're doing," and and Richie was going, "Uh huh, uh huh," 
and doing doing up some coke as he spoke. Yeah, like a little kind of golden container, like yeah. a small thimble-sized thing. It was okay. And I was four schmucks I, I watching him do this. I didn't know what it was. And no, we were, we were so innocent. It's 1972. What you're is a, he doing? You're a kid from Corona, kid right? I yeah. don't know what's going on. Yeah, coke? No, I knew, right. I knew you know, Thunderbird. I didn't know yeah. Coke. No, but he, he slid it over to Mel. Yeah. And he said, offering him the Coke, and said, Brother Mel, and he said, never before lunch. <laughs> and, that, and when he ordered lunch, we all ordered, he ordered a roast beef sandwich and a bottle of Couvoisier. Yeah, right. Hilarious. Yeah. But you, you had a little history with him from the Flip Wilson show. I had, you had, worked, with I had worked with him on the Flip Wilson show, and when, uh, the only thing I'll disagree with, uh, Mel said that to the room, we're we're for Jews, and we need a gentleman of color. And I said, I, said, I remember the windows. <laughs> I can't get that out of my head. At the same time, we had was- a secretary who was uh, who wanted to get in, wanted to be an actress, and she would show up every day dressed in a different outfit. Yeah, like uh, she was going to be the school marm. <laughs> That was a tough job. I mean, four lunatics, you know. She had to keep it all straight and on, on legal pads. There's something sweet that uh, I think that he wanted to create the experience from Show of Shows. He he could have yes. come in. I don't know if it was sweet. He just figured that's the way to oh, attack. Oh, that's the way it was yeah. done. That's the way to yeah. attack He says he was thing. nostalgic for it. Well, for he, the, might, he might yeah. well have been, but yeah. it served both purposes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the thing about right. Richie, what Richie did for us, and that was behind... We're three Jews, and you know we need someone to do the windows. Was he gave us permission? Sure. This yeah. movie could not have been. Once Richie was in this, it's like you rented a car, and they told you you can run all the stop signs and the red lights. Right. That doesn't apply to this vehicle, you know. <laughs> and that's how we wrote the the the, 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 the movie. It, and he said <laughs> recently in an interview that uh, blazing saddles could not be done nowadays. Hello. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's two pages of it that could be done today. Forget about I'm it. I'm not even sure somebody like Spike Lee could make it. I mean, forget, well, about, forget about Jews. Well, Tarantino did uh, a version of it in... in oh, uh, Django. In Django. Yeah. If you remember, I mean, there was one really funny thing where yeah. they couldn't see out, out of their Ku Klux Klan masks. Right. But but they did... They, they were... Pretty out there, I thought, and uh, but that came close. I don't, I don't know why. Why not? Why not? I mean, I, it's uh, uh, times have changed, and maybe in an aspect way, maybe Trump has opened things up. Well, we're going to see. We're going to see. By taking things down to the the grossest level. I wonder. Every time I think that we've reached that point where people say you can't do comedy anymore, and then I watched the Comedy Central roast of Alec Baldwin the other night, and it was yeah. entirely outrageous yeah. and over the top, and it was a breath of fresh air just to, just to see right. that, that, that that can still be done. And maybe it's because it's that protected environment. I, I always thought, like, Trump got... One of the reasons Trump got in office is... Because I think people are going, oh, my God, he's a guy that says whatever he feels yeah. like. Yeah. And we're tired of uh, being scared. But look what you look what you did with uh, planes after, after 9-11. Yeah. 
Oh, I oh mean, they know that, your work, that, Gil. That was <laughs> outrageous. Planes are stopping at the Empire State Building. Come mm-hmm. on. That was, uh, in in that respect, it's... Transgressive. It's same, same thing. It's interesting in his case because he did that joke, and it and it and I would say it almost gave your career a boost. Yeah, because no. I, I lost the entire crowd, and they were booing and hissing, and then I went into the aristocrats joke, yeah. <laughs> and one of them, you know, they say... No. Oh, the father's fucking the son? That's good. <laughs> That's not offensive. But the, the, the flip side of that coin is when you did similar, uh, shall I say, irreverent material about the tsunami, yes. you got punished. Yes. So mm-hmm. you, you were somewhat, you were rewarded and punished oh, yeah. for similar you, you never bad taste. Know. Yeah. Yeah, which, is, which I find right. strange. Yeah. Did Mel write a sign, please don't write a polite script? No. Okay, no. that's bullshit. No. Well, I saw can you that. say it, it's true? Because that's a good line. <laughs> it is a good line, yeah. but it wasn't true. <laughs> the stuff you find when you do when you do oh, research. God. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to shoot down the the prior came into the room dressed as the maid for sure. No, I he was did. refreshed. Yeah, it's no. it's, it's yeah. nice to know that actually happened. And I, now it what I find so strange is like years later, Pryor and Wilder would become this. Big right, movie right. comedy yeah. team. Isn't that great? And, and and Mel wanted him for this movie. He did. He did. Rich, Richard never believed him. He they he. No, it's true. He was just radioactive at that yeah. point. You know, <laughs> and, at that stage <laughs> in his career. <laughs> but Mel fought for him, and it it would have that would have been an interesting film. I Very. mean, it would have been Very outrageous. Cleavon was fabulous. He was. The right, the right person at the right time, and we interviewed. I think every black mulatto, high yellow <laughs> comedian. <laughs> did, did, did Flip ever audition? Who? Flip? No, I know the studio no. had requ- suggested no. him. Okay, couldn't have done it. Didn't but have those. Didn't uh, have those didn't chops. Didn't have those chops. Lou Gossett is interesting in the pilot, which is on the DVD. Yeah, he was. He and was. he's more of a prior. He's more... He is. That yeah. way, he's, he's, he's edgier. Oh, absolutely. Cleavon plays it like a sweetheart. Yeah. Well, he was a sweetheart. Yeah. That yeah. was yeah. the thing. Yeah. He was not a person with a lot of edge. He was just a, a, you know, a wonderful guy. Yeah. And gorgeous, which also helped, you know. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's just, we've just, we discussed this before uh, with both of you when we brought up the movie. You know, the, the talk about a happy accident. I mean, not only Gig Young falling out, and Wilder coming in, right. but yeah. the, that the two of them would have that automatic chemistry, yeah. l- like that. It just what a what a what a miraculous surprise. Who knows? <laughs> Who <you> knows? Know? <laughs> and what happened? They they did bring Gig Young in. Yeah, yeah. be the Waco. We, a, we had Dan Daly before. For, him. Yeah, was Carson asked, or is that also? Yes, a yeah, that was, okay. That's, yeah, I think we show. went through those steps. That was our first dream. Yeah, that Johnny would play uh, the Waco kid. Right. And I, I, I went to the Tonight Show with Mel. He was doing the Tonight Show, and afterwards, I remember I was carrying his his suit for him. And, oh, uh, Mel suit? Yeah. <laughs> he had changed. I didn't know your duties included yeah, that. Was, uh, and Johnny, we went into Johnny's dressing room. He said, "Is this your valet?" <laughs> and and uh, Mel said, he had sent the script to him, and and Carson said, uh, I, "Mel, I'm, I'm this is what I do." <laughs> This is what I do, and I can't. I will not. I'm not up to it. I'm not up to. And he was right. He was. I I heard that Gig Young was supposed to be the voice of Charlie 
in the Charlie's Angels series. Quite possible. Yeah. The same uh, thing. When, when they called him, yeah. he was he was loaded on the yeah. floor. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they went from Carson to Dan Daly, to and Dan, yeah. Mel says on the commentary that Dan Daly loved the script, but then he called back and he said, "I can't see. I'm bl- I'm almost blind. I'm That's wearing good. Coke bottle glasses." Mm-hmm. Right. Then Gig Young, who did have a little bit of a, a, a habit, yes. with the bottle, yeah. which yeah. gave which gave him maybe a leg up, but that was a bridge too far, as yeah. it turned out. Yeah. Now this was just a favor, you know. He just, he just. Mel said, "Please, do this for me to to Gene Wilder." Yeah, and, and that, that, yeah, it in happened. exchange for doing Mel doing Young Frankenstein, which was uh, Gene's script. So that was a happy barter, happy yeah. for everybody. <laughs> yeah, for everybody. It was that was practically overnight. That yeah, Gene, no, Gene it happened. Boom, in. like he just showed up. Yeah, yeah, and just walked and, into the role. And now you can't picture anybody else. No, doing it. Oh, well, a movie like that, you can't picture anybody else doing anything. Anything. It's true. It's true. I mean, once it becomes that, ah, it's true. (laughs) We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first, a word from our sponsor. And we we always love talking about great old character actors, and that movie is full of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every one of them so yeah. good. No matter how small the part. Slim. Yes. Well, Slim, Slim. is the greatest. Slim. <laughs> oh, Frank and I were talking about that. He was given a hotel room. But he chose to sleep outside. Is that true, too? With his dog and his rifle? This is another. This that may, may be, be another, one of the, This may, may be another the, urban myth. The book of apocrypha. <laughs> just, <laughs> would you just please agree? <laughs> sure, he slept. <laughs> he slept on the Western Street with his hat tucked over his eyes. <laughs> the, sto- the story that that's been published, and it's funny because you see it in several places, was that he he passed on the hotel room and said, "I'm going to sleep outside with my it's rifle a great story. to stay in character." Yeah, that's a fabulous yeah. story. Yeah. I was there I hope when it's true. Mel interviewed him, or just interviewed him, just told him what it was going to be like, uh-huh. and he said, "We're going to put you, we're, we're going to build you up. We're gonna, we have special boots made that are going to be like platform boots." He said, "Mr. Brooks, I I like to wear my own boots," <laughs> <laughs> and he said. And we have, okay, fine, but we have this horse, this, this beautiful, magnificent Mr. Brooks. <laughs> I, have, I have my own horse. I mean, he had everything. Oh, he he's was, a great writer. He, I mean, you don't need a stunt double for this guy. He Pickens. was amazing. Oh, he was yeah, great. He, yeah. He did tell us. He brings us, so much to the movie. Oh, God, he was he hilarious. He did tell us that, uh, uh, the Dr. Strangelove story, which was that he was hanging upside down on on the the bomb and Kubrick was shooting him and he said he he did about 40 takes and he said he threw up slim said <laughs> he threw up like oh five God. times and he said of course Kubrick used the first take what <laughs> are those actors like Jack Warden that's incapable of giving a bad performance yeah. he's always good Oh, he's great. Even in uh, subpar movies, yeah. you, you yeah. stick around it's and watch hilarious. them. Hilarious. He had them in, in I mean, in One so Night Jacks, he's amazing. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. He's a fantastic actor. Yeah, and you work with Warden in, in So Fine, oh, yeah, which sure. we talked about he's last great. time. One of our favorites. Oh, God. Yeah. Loved yeah. him. That, and, and the funny thing is, like, you know, uh, Harvey Corman 
brilliant. Who's known as like the second banana all yeah. the time. And in there, he's like as big a star as the other two. And he gives an amazing... I remember he came in and said, they're really letting you do this movie? I mean, I couldn't couldn't believe it. That's what I mean about only running red lights and and stop signs. The original choice was uh, John Cassavetes. John Carradine. John, John Cassavetes. John Cassavetes. I would have loved to have seen him. That's Eddie LaMarr. John Carradine? Yeah. Char- oh, Gilbert's John favorite. We had. He uh, was we... going to play a character named John Carradine. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. We had a guy, uh, we called him the man in the arrow shirt. It's a guy stumbles into the bar, and he's got all these arrows in his back, and he falls down. And the line was, we didn't use this, but the line said, who did this to you, Saul? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the dying man, the, ma- the man in the arrow shirt says, John Cara, duh, and he dies. <laughs> and, and they cut to a shot of all the townspeople going, John Cara, duh, John, and Cleavon looks at <laughs> looks at the camera and says, and they say, my people are dumb. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't think we shot that. No, we didn't. There were various subsidiary characters. I think last time I talked about Bogey. Yeah, tell us again. The yeah. cop, cop, uh, a cowboy named, named Bogey, who Mel was going to play. Mel did a pretty good Bogart with the, the crazy eyes and the wet lips, you know, the... <laughs> And every time you cut to the campfire, Bogey would be saying, now you had two quarts of strawberries. How many strawberries did you have? <laughs> oh, He'd be doing the whole queen. Right, right, that's great. There was another character um, called Sidler, who just sidled into the, he just would always walk around sidling in, and was very sneaky. And he died, of course, falling down sideways. And the, his, the line was, he died like he lived sideways. <laughs> <laughs> And we had a character called Ashtray. Ashtray was... uh, That was really terrible. The first time we saw him, uh, Harvey Corman is lighting scar and says, Ashtray, Ashtray. John Carradine. That was the thing, was John Carradine's character. Yeah. (laughs) And he disappears. And the Ashtray disappears, and and this... Small person. Small person appears, Johnny Paleo, because Mel loved him because he bit people on the ankles. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it turned out that Ashtray had been hanged, but he didn't die. And <laughs> he, had a uh, wood, he had a wooden he had a, neck. He had a wooden neck. <laughs> Mel conceived of this guy. <laughs> I'll describe it. It's a real twist, though. He said he'd have a hump, but in the front. He was a hump, hump front. <laughs> so this whole thing, he had this wooden neck. And he and John Carradine communicated. Ashtray would just wrap on his neck. <laughs> That's hilarious. This, this like Morse code kind of thing. And it, it was a grotesque character. It was a grotesque, but it had one of my favorite lines ever, Go which ahead. was you cut to Ashtray in the middle of the prairie, wrapping on his neck. And John Carradine says, Schopenhauer never said that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> having this philosophical debate. Wow. <laughs> so then we hear that Woody Allen has done this movie called Everything You Want to Know About Sex, <clears throat> and that John Carradine is in it, and he has a small person as an assistant. Wow. So, hey, it's a t- 
who people could conceive of such what? a verse. <laughs> That's surreal. thing. So we see, they let us see a couple of reels of everything uh, about sex. And indeed, there's John Carradine, who looked like 400 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And this little guy, and John Carradine's just kicking the shit out of him. And we realize, this is, this is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't you go through with it. You couldn't. Yeah. It's horrible. <laughs> it was a, it was a ter- terrible character. Both Andy and I wanted to get rid of this guy. And we did. And finally, I, I remember the day we were walking <laughs> over to 3rd <laughs> Avenue. I said, we can't. you got to let it go. All right. All right. I'll let. It, it was... It, that would have buried us. Yeah, we and did fall in love thing, with him. Everybody for a while. in the in the town was named Johnson, right? But we did not, and I think Mel did the threw the flag on this one. He said, "No, no, Lyndon Johnson. Why? He's not going to make it." And he was absolutely yeah, yeah. right. Oh, and, and he died. Yeah, right, right well, around was, that time. We were out there in '73, and I remember I said to Mel, "I saw I saw Johnson interview last night. I think we." This isn't going to work. He didn't look like he's going to live another year. You know, yeah. he didn't. Yeah. Love yeah. those inside jokes. Yeah. Olsen, Olsen Johnson. Olsen Johnson. And he saw, he saw John Carradine in the Warner Brothers commissary. He came back. He said, can't do it. Can't wow. do it. Wow. And, and we, we had a door where it was, it was John Carradine. He was the solicitor general or something and had all of his film credits <laughs> <laughs> grapes of wrath <laughs> there were a lot of them yeah. 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 yeah yeah so does this exist in some form are there i mean there obviously this yeah, stuff was this, not yeah. shot are there notes are there pages with these there characters pages yeah. with ashtray sure and, and yeah. mel's record somewhere or mel's I, files i have a 160 page wow yeah. wow why did he say john carradine couldn't do it because he looked like he was at death's door he just oh. looked. And he was right. He looked like an old man. Yeah. 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 And so yet the fun. joke would have of him playing a character named John Carradine would have fit perfectly oh, well in this kind of... Because yeah. yeah. there's yeah. so many inside movie jokes. Right. Richard Dix. Yeah. And Randolph Scott. And Olsen and Johnson. Yeah. And the yeah. Laurel and Hardy handshake, which I must yeah. tell you, I saw the movie maybe 15 times before I ever stopped to get that joke. Well, that was the beauty. The thing was so dense. So dense. Yeah. Or the Mongo Santa Maria joke, oh, yeah. which yeah. until I was in my 40s, I didn't know who Mongo no. Santa Maria yeah. was. And the day that I heard his name in a different context, I said, son of a bitch. It's a Blazing Saddles <laughs> joke. We yeah. wrote it, and I still never entirely got it. I said, really? That's funny? Mongo Santa Maria. <laughs> I remember the actor, too, was Jim, uh, a stand-up comic named Jimmy Martinez. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very good. Or yeah. the or the, the, the Andrew outside just said I don't need no stinking coffee. Right, I offered yeah. him a cup of coffee well, that from guy, the Al- right. Alfonso sure. Badoya guy on Fabulous. the on the line of thugs. Right, the worst people in the worst. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to go back to the writers' room too, but just to, we'll get back to casting. But something that what you said you learned in that room about yeah. the specificity well, of yeah. comedy writing, right, the, which with is, the education you yeah, got. Yeah, which is uh, yeah. It, it's so. Forget the consonants and the, you know, Buick is funnier than Ford and all that, <laughs> that stuff. Um, it's just one word too many in a, in a thing and a joke becomes yeah. a sentence. It's just all the, like, you just knocked all the air out of it. It's so... You learn the poetry yeah. of you it. You learn the, the yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the yeah. scanning of the lines. It's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, his... You can't uh, avoid it. His timing and uh, it just, his, his, not, his name knowledge, I, I did... Uh, there's a name that he gave me uh, in uh, my favorite year. 
I have a character named Rookie Karoka, who is <laughs> yep. a bantamweight boxer. And Great character. Now, yeah, he said, uh, and Rookie says, uh, I, uh, he said, you, you, got, you were beaten by Manny Serpa. He said, Manny Serpa, I took him apart. I turned him into guava jelly. <laughs> it all came from Mel. I mean, it just, great stuff. Just those, those kind of alliterations. It was wonderful. And then Mel Brooks said, well, as the famous line, they're in the dark, uh, oh. Madeline Kahn. Right. Oh, the one line. And yeah. she says, you know, it's true. Right. Like that is, has got a big penis. And what was the line they cut out? They, it was... You're sucking my arm. Yeah, <laughs> We went through a lot of things. Excuse yeah. me, Miss Von Stubb. You're, you're sucking my arm. You're sucking, <laughs> sucking my elbow. Yeah. <laughs> that whole scene is... Yeah. Depends on how much vitamin E I can get my right. hands on. <laughs> but well, he, it starts he, with the sausages. The sausages and the... He said he stopped it. I mean, I, that was a surprise to me because I think that would have been maybe a bridge too far. Shut, yeah. but yeah. I don't think it would not not in the context we were in. You think so? You think audience would have uh, audiences would have uh, rebelled at that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think sort of the genius of it of having her be a a, a semi nazi you know, Helen <laughs> Khan. <laughs> Is the way to actually have an interracial romance in the movie sub Rosa because she's such a grotesque yeah. girl, yeah, and she's madly in love with him, yeah, and everybody thought it was great, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the cutaway, it's, and it cut that, it just blew away that that barrier in, yeah. a, in a comic way, which was quite brilliant. He bring, he brings her back with uh, during the fight scene. She's she's oh, le sure. she's leading the Nazi right. doing her, <laughs> her, Lily, her Lily Marlene face. So at some point, Alan, who had come in with you, your your uh, your writing partner at the yeah. time, he left. Yeah, Richard was doing a, a bit of a disappearing act. I know it. Well, after it, six well, months, yeah. Richard just said, "Oh, six weeks." He said. That was it. That was it. He was like a pitcher. You know, you have, right. you're going to get five innings out of him. Right. <laughs> you're happy with what you got. And yeah. then you got the bullpen up and you, you know. And it sort it was, of boiled yeah. down to the three of you guys. It did. Yeah. Yeah. But as I say, Richie's contribution, which was to open the windows and say, hey, yeah. go for it. Go for it. You can do it. It's, it's, he was our protection. Yeah. As I said, you can't have four Jews yeah. writing this movie. Yeah. Was enormous. Um, and then Norman and I did all the the... the the little stuff, I mean, and big stuff. After afterwards, it was a lot of a lot the of yeah. Chinese restaurants. The yeah. Lot of, yeah, a yeah. lot of there were a lot of drafts to go, and there was a lot. Of, you know, it was a lot of work because, as you know, getting these things right is is like diamond. You know, you're, you're polishing a diamond. What was yeah. the What was the length of time from the from the moment you guys ballpark from the moment Fast. you sat down in the room to you, what you to, when you turned into Warner Brothers? A year and a half. Year and a half. Well, you mean the, the original draft? Yeah, yeah. Well, from, from when you guys no. first sat down together, when uh, the clock started ticking. I think about a year and a half, wasn't it? Well, I, but no, it was faster. We turned faster? the draft in, yeah. Because we went out to... In April, we turned it, we were out in, in L.A. in uh, March of 73 or something, because they started shooting like April of 73. Yeah. So it was... A, it was a, yeah. And, and Mel, started, Mel bought that house in West Hollywood, and you guys went out there to... To do polishes or to, yeah. to work on and it. casting and, and stuff. casting, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, we were working at Warner Brothers, yeah, 
And and uh, in the writers' building, it's very yeah. exciting. Yeah, I no, can it, imagine. It, it was great. Uh, but uh, I was just thinking of a line: "This when everybody is leaving town." Which I love this line, um, and and they, they're getting the hell out of town because the town's being terrorized, and and it makes this speech. He said, "Can't you see? This is the last act of a desperate man." <laughs> He said, and the town, somebody in the town says, we don't care if it's the first act of Henry V. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's Hillerman's line, John <laughs> Hillerman. Very literary. It's great. So smart. So smart. So you guys were in, involved in early casting. You were, you were there oh, yeah. when these people walked in the room. Yeah. And did you, did you have personal suggestions? Did you have a, did you have, you got to well, call I, this guy in? You well, got I was to, obsessed with Slim. You were obsessed I, with I, Slim I worshipped from... You know, originally, I, th- I, th- I believe in, in Strangelove that Sellers was supposed to play that guy. Interesting. And he had this first heart episode of something, and Slim wound up playing huh. that guy. Um, which makes sense if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Because he played the Englishman, he played the, the yeah. Strangelove. Strangelove himself. The German. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. German and, and right. Mandrake. Murph and Merck and Muffy. Merck and Muffley. <laughs> right. Um, so it makes sense that he would have also put him in there. Uh but Slim was just, Pickens gives yeah. you that Western authenticity. This sure. year, suddenly it's a Western. Yeah, it is because <laughs> he really but, rides. Right? Because I mean, you know, Cleveland couldn't ride when he, when he comes into town on that horse. You just can see he's <laughs> holding on to his hat so it doesn't blow off. <laughs> you know? And what? And what about Burton Gilliam? Oh, Burton, Burton. Gilliam was. Oh, great. You used him again. I used him again. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Burton. Burton was fabulous. But we, we saw him on. Uh, what was the, what was the Bogdanovich film? Oh, he's in uh, uh, Paper Moon. Paper Moon. Yeah. He was great. You're three cast members in Paper Moon. Yeah. Madeline's in it, right? Yes. And uh, who's the third person I'm thinking of? Uh, Hillerman's in it, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was great. One of the townspeople. Yeah, John. Uh, he's the guy who has the Henry the Fourth line. That's him. Yeah, and Huddleston, David Huddleston, yeah. who yeah. did such great work. Turned out to be the Big Lebowski. Many years <laughs> later, when these when you guys are sitting there and these guys walk in the room, do you just and and you know you've both cast films over the years since. Do you do you have that moment where you just know? Yeah, yeah, sure. You, yeah, you for know, sure. you knew it's it was like, Cleveland. Yeah, for instance, well, I, I, Cleveland was the first person I ever saw the old script. Mm-hmm. I sent him because I saw him in a show called Scuba Duba that Bruce oh, J. Bruce Friedman J. wrote, Friedman. Yeah. Which, yeah. and he he played this frogman. He was hilarious. That yeah. this guy is so funny and so whippy and so cute. Um, and of course, and he, he never read the script. His manager wouldn't give him the script. Huh? Pearly Victorious. Yeah, he's great. He's very he's funny, great. man. He's great. Yeah, but usually, you know, you just, you just, they walk in, they have it, or they don't, you know. And of course, the most famous scene from uh, Blazing Saddles, <laughs> the campfire. <laughs> How did that come about? It was the other shoe. The other shoe. He said, "Look, if you have a campfire always- and they're eating beans." <laughs> yeah. Nobody's as ever long as done there's that. no red lights, <laughs> and they did they did a preview in Australia. Really? It was yeah, and they did a uh, instead of a meal, they had a bean dinner, in at, at the beginning of the. <laughs> 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 but it, yeah, I mean, but we, I think we got just about every every race, and we 
We got the Irish. Too. That's a great oh, joke. Yes. <laughs> Huddleston's joke about the, the Irish, Irish, the Asians, it's so good. It's so good. You mentioned Peter Sellers. Now this could be bullshit again, but did Peter Sellers come go, in? Go right ahead, say it. Is. Did he read for the Busby Berkeley character? No. no. Okay. Oh, see, more no. bullshit. Thank you. There's a lot of urban myths out there about the the making of this I'm movie. Sure, I'm sure that was promised was to Dom on you know. It must have been. Instantly. Well, Dom's in the Twelve Chairs, yeah. right? So he yeah, had a, yeah. they, had a, they had a pre-existing relationship. And he's hilarious. Well, you, you know, as someone who's directed, you the, you really try to work with people you've worked with before. It just, it eliminates a lot of intermediate steps. You just... You know they're going to deliver. Yeah. You just know, yeah. you, you don't want to say anything. It's like, I did two pictures with Nick Cage. Halfway, a third of the way through the first one, I didn't have to say anything anymore. You just, yeah. It's just, you, <laughs> you know. It's nice when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> getting, getting back to the campfire, did sure. they censor the sound effects... No, on not on TV. No. on regular well, on TV. TV. On TV, they had horses neighing every yeah. time the guys uh-huh. would, would like squinching up their faces and rising up. You'd hear horses neighing, which was completely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not a movie you should watch on TV. <laughs> no, it is not. No, Mel did Mel did all the sound effects on. He on did his a lot. Arm. Of them. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, so. It's so funny that now. It seems like you can't make a comedy without a fart sound effect somewhere right. in it. Right. <laughs> and back then, that was like... It was it earth-shaking. Was, yeah. It was yeah. like the first performance of uh, The Rite of Spring or something. It was like, <laughs> it was like a revolutionary... People changed lit- the culture. It did. <laughs> Literally, people yep. could not believe it. And after the first fart, you couldn't hear anything anymore. People were so yeah. out of their minds. I heard they were saying... Uh, <laughs> Somebody complained that uh, in the making of the movie that the farts were too loud and not you couldn't too- hear them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you saw it in an empty theater. You know, that's possible. The, the first, the first screening when he first screens it for the Warner suits. Yeah, when yeah. No, nobody laughs except John not Kelly. Good. Were yeah. you guys there? Yeah. No, okay. no. Mel was there. Okay, I, we saw him afterwards when he came back to the office. He was, he was white. He he didn't know. Uh, he said, I'm going to recut the movie. But we had a screening that night with the Warner the, the all the lot, office yeah. help from Warner Brothers. And they they went crazy. And the, they, the they were screaming. And Mel Mel got up and said, oh, fuck them. <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> onward. Right. You know, and didn't They still thought it. it would die. They well, thought it would just fall right off the screen. Didn't you guys, wasn't that something you guys comforted yourselves with in the writer's room? Nobody, this thing's never going to get made. It's never going to get released. So I write, know, what, I write think, what you want. No, I had, a, I had a sense that it could get made. I didn't know whether anybody was going to see it. I see. And yeah. Warner Brothers was confident that nobody was going to go see right. it. Right. Yeah. Mel, Mel still remembers the name of the executive that came up to him and said, and, and one of the things <laughs> that particularly bothered him was the Indian speaking Yiddish. <laughs> Was it Ted? Somebody? Ted was, Ashley? Ted Ashley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't release this outside of New York or Los Angeles. It's not going to play anywhere. <laughs> or at least he says they wanted to dump it yeah. and take the loss. Well, here's the uh, thing about the Yiddish speaking. You know, obviously it was a specialized joke. I had a friend of mine who lived in Portland, and he went to see the movie. He said he's the only person who left at the Yiddish. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Here's one it's man. great. Ah, nobody it's else so good. What is he talking about? <laughs> but there were so many jokes. I mean, there was so much, it was such a blizzard it is. of yeah. comedy material. I, it is. I talked to somebody <laughs> as much as any movie ever yeah. made. who was doing a, a TV series based on Paper Moon in Idaho. 
They, they and, made it into a series. Yeah. With Jodie Foster. And they're in a theater watching Blazing Saddles, and he hears people in back of him when, when Mel does The Indian, and this guy says to his wife, he's speaking Sue. Oh, <laughs> As in sue me? What? No. <laughs> now, Harvey Corman's character, Hedley Lamar, uh, yeah. was, of course, a takeoff on the actress yeah. Hedley Lamar. Right. What happened? When, she, well, she, she sued. She did sue. She did sue. She he, And in the film, he said, what are you worried about? We can sue her. It's 1874. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can sue her. <laughs> and uh, she sued, and they... Come on, they threw it out. It was scurrilous. But did, <laughs> did I? I heard Mel Mel Brooks said, uh, "Just give us some money." Yeah. Yeah. She's Hedy that's Lamar. That's, yeah. that's what he said. Yeah, she didn't need the money. Yeah. She was uh, she was very rich. <laughs> it doesn't. It you know. It and Harvey loved it. Harvey Harvey was so great. He just. Uh, uh, Rolled with every punch. What a what a wonderful you, you know the performance. Uh, he's he's a, he's a terrible terrible human being, and he manages to make himself vulnerable. <laughs> I mean, because like, he's so like, ridiculous. He's so ri- <laughs> but he's got a froggy. He's yeah. got a toy froggy right. for the yeah. bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's just a, a black-hearted scoundrel, there's there's yeah. de- there's so much dimension to the character. But He's just great. And those speeches to the wonderful, the, the great clubs. speech. <laughs> Go do that voodoo that, that you, you do. do. <laughs> <laughs> Methodists. Methodists. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a gem. So let's let's talk about Madeline coming in too. And and again, this could possibly be bullshit. She was fired from the movie Mame. That it's possible. I don't right know. before, yeah, I think so. really? I even read speculation that she wanted out of Mame. <clears throat> she wanted to work with you guys, so she tanked the performance to get fired. Now I don't know if that's well, true. That's dubious. But, dubious. Uh, I but, think that's dubious okay. because she was thoroughgoing professional. She, yeah. was, she was great. Yeah, she was just a wonderful woman. That's an incomparable. Performance. I know, but this is the kind of stuff you read. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant that rumor. No, yeah, it's incomparable. Yeah. No. Sui generous. There's nothing like it. You know? No. Yeah. No. You had worked with her before. I on, worked on the, with her the variety show. My first first time I worked with her was on uh, my first show with Bob Cl- Robert Klein called Comedy Tonight. Oh, she was yes. a sketch player. Mm-hmm. And uh, I they wrote a great sketch for her where she was doing a Marlene Dietrich uh, character and, and wrote a song called And They Ate garbage <laughs> at a supper club and she was talking about Weimar Germany and and then I worked at the last show that she ever did which was uh, Cosby and uh, she was fabulous she was just she was dying and, uh, and and she worked through and she was just this, she was just this wonderful free soul and and pure instinct of talent she's great in everything everything she's great in in paper moon and she's great in 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 uh high anxiety yeah, she's, she's just yeah. never again one of those people that just can't give a bad performance no. um because it always comes from an angle you weren't quite expecting you know <laughs> even yeah. even the when 
after Cleavon leaves, and she says, oh, don't go, Shotzi. And he goes, I got to get some vitamin E, and right. he goes out, and she falls against the door and says, what a nice guy. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and she's hugging herself. Yes, she's she hugging does herself. It, you know? That was her out. line. Really? That was her line. Great. That was not I don't want to leave out her, her performance in Young Frankenstein, too, yeah. where she's just, she's just, she's just electric. Uh, and, there was a funny story I heard that uh, all of you, like Mel Brooks was definitely in there in the commissary, and you ran into John Wayne. Yeah, Mel supposedly asked John Wayne. You know, it's about possible. This? I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he had a great sense of humor. He said that John <laughs> Wayne said he heard. Good, open-minded this, guy. He he heard in this new m- movie that. They're going to have the line, blow it out of your ass. And, <laughs> blow it out of your ass. <laughs> and Mel Brooks said, do you want to be in the picture? He goes, well, I won't be in it, but I'll be the first one to see it. <laughs> well, well, yeah. it's a good story. Uh, I bet a, he wasn't the first one to see it. There's so many mm-hmm. apocryphal stories yeah, about, about the making of you this movie. write a book, a book about it. All the things that never happened. Yeah, yeah. BS, BS. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got just this is a tiny part because we're talking about actors in small parts, and I want to ask about Alex Karras. Uh Bob Ridgely doing the Hangman, Karloff, the little oh, the tribute yeah, to, a t- yeah. to Tower of London, yeah, <laughs> a, a favorite of ours. We had the child star from Do- Tower of London on this podcast, uh, Donnie, Donnie Dunnigan, is wow. the boy from from Son of Frankenstein, still alive and living in Dallas. But I mean, even the smallest part, or George Firth. Who who maybe has yeah. or Dom DeLuise's wife Carol yeah, Arthur right. yeah. does the 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 the, great, the 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 number one asshole in the state. Yeah. Everybody makes yeah. a, a, something wonderful out of the littlest moments. Well, yeah, and and the beauty of the hangman is he's hanging a guy in a wheelchair. Yes, right. <laughs> I mean, talk about brutal, which is logistically very hard. To even think, how do you how do you fucking do that? Right. And the wheelchair is up there, and this guy with a beard was just. So a, nuts. That was the uh, the Doctor Gillespie. Doctor Doctor Gillespie. Gillespie. Murders, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a reference. And Liam Dunn too. As yeah. The, as Liam the preacher. Dunn did that? Oh, he uh. was he was great. But and during that speech, he was making uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Duck. And Duck. And, and he, uh, after he finished the take, it, he was a gay man. He said he, he was his he was. Horse, and he said, "Does anyone have a rectal mic?" <laughs> 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 he, he was, uh, he was so great. Yeah. Uh, this is a question about Richard too. Uh, was it just the drugs? Was it just that he was that, that he was radioactive, or was it was it that Warner Brothers couldn't see a guy like this who who? Put the N word on his album titles. I think yeah. being I think the face that, of Warner I Brothers. I think movie. there is that. I think he had a reputation for occasionally slugging a director yeah. or two. I think uh-huh. his uh, his last albums had bombed. He wasn't like a right. a hot commodity, you right. know. Right. right. Um, and he was thrilled. He was thrilled to to get the get the role because when I spoke to him, uh, he was breathless. I said. Um, Mean to get it to, to, to write on it? Yeah, yeah. He said, "Would you uh, would you want to come to New York and work with Mel Brooks?" He said, and he was Mel, Mel Brooks. <laughs> he couldn't even get Brooks out. Brooks, 
Yeah, and I, he was he was in awe of Mel, and so and Mel was in awe of him. I mean that that what what a brave uh, Lenny Bruce, and then Yo, here listen, comes here comes Gilbert got to work with him late in his life on with, uh, one of the uh, one uh, of the Wilder pictures. It was going to be the last of the. Uh, it was a terrible movie, and but what I found with him is. I was I just walked on the set and he came over to me and he treated me like he was some little kid meeting the biggest comic in the world. Yeah. How nice. Yeah. And and he knew everything that I did. I'm sure. Oh yeah. no, he was a really complicated dude and but a lovely beneath all the stuff. He was just a lovely human being. Cuz yeah. I remember he said to me he goes you're super funny. <laughs> it's like even if you don't want to be funny, you're gonna be funny. <laughs> and I thought, wow, yeah. I I couldn't get over. The last time I I saw him, <clears throat> I was talking to him about this Casablanca idea. I think. Oh I yeah, you told him about that. And he that. said at the end, and he was it was it was so great to see him again. It had been you know fifteen years. He said, you know, I don't remember anything from that time. <laughs> Not no. one thing. He said, that's the worst part. It's just, it's like blank. You know? <laughs> Unbelievable. You, know, you can see, I, I never met the man, obviously, but you can see as edgy as his performances are, you could see the sweetness. Oh, my God. something, it bingo long, the traveling all-stars movie yeah. and, uh, and, 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 and Silver Streak. And you, you could see the, the, the warmth. And the man comes was, through yeah. in his performance. There was part of him like there was like nine years old always. He was yeah. like a, a kid. A it comes kid. through Absolutely. in those early stand-up specials too. There's a genuine sweetness right. to them inside the darkness. He I mean, said he said something to me. Gave me some advice, and he said, "Norm, if if you're ever in prison." <laughs> I said, "Yeah," <laughs> and you you have to. You have to, and you go to the shower. <laughs> After the shower, don't put no towel around you. I said, why is that? He said, because they'll think you're hiding something good. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's certainly good advice. Sage advice. <laughs> I got a couple of quick. I got a couple of quick questions for you guys from from pre previous guests that we've had on this show. Really, your, your friend Phil Rosenthal, yeah, uh, or everybody loves Raymond Crater, wants to know Richard Pryor's specific contributions. The specific the, contribution. I know you guys don't. This usually. is you know what? Is there a written part of this exam? Or is this an oral exam? <laughs> no, you know that we had a rule that nobody took credit for anything. That's my joke. That's a, and I don't think any of us ever did. No, and there was all this mythology. Was, oh, he wrote all the Mongo stuff. It was yeah. like, everybody no. wrote everything. We yeah. just Mel was, says he wrote a lot of the Mongo stuff, Mel like owning pa Pawn and Game of Life. But who remembers? No. Who? You guys, I mean, you guys I'm don't know tell who you wrote what did line. Not write that. that. Okay, <laughs> okay. But, yeah. but we have a scoop. That was it. Was not. Uh, the, that it was really the United Nations. I think I remember specific lines of wrote, but it's it's yeah. What difference is it? Blurs. Yeah. It blurs. It blurs. Yeah. And it wasn't it that it was so crazy in the writers' room. You don't know if it was your yeah. line. Oh yeah, it's the five guys yeah. shouting. It's the game of telephone. You right. know, yeah. it's, it's it it right. comes out, it goes around and around, and it comes back. That's it. 
You know, yeah. a- after time in the room, did you notice that you, you you guys all developed a different kind of a? Did it get a little smoother? Was there a different yeah. kind of system? It was just there was or no was system. It chaos? There was no yeah. system. It was. I mean, the system was this poor woman trying to get all this stuff straight. You've <laughs> described it as a like being in a Marx Brothers movie. Well, it yeah. was, and what was wonderful, and this goes back to the there's no uh, red. You go through the red lights. We were trying to figure out whether a character should be named Dwayne or Earl. You know? <laughs> <laughs> simple character. And I said, how about Dwirl? <laughs> and Mel said, he dictated, Dwirl, a cowpoke starts doing fancy. Bro-. It was in. It was in. That was it. That was, that was it. When yeah. you said Dwirl, that was it. Hilarious. Uh, our he fr- never made it either, Dwirl. <laughs> our friend Michael Weber, uh, Norman, yeah. who's also a screenwriter, he wrote 500 Days of Summer. He's been on Oh, this. I like that. It's movie. a good movie. Yeah. He's been on this show. He said, I have hundreds of questions, but they're all about Yes, Giorgio. <laughs> He's no friend of ours. <laughs> Touche, Michael. Yeah. Uh, Andrew's friend Beverly D'Angelo was here a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I have no questions, but I love Andy, and I can't wait wait to work with him again. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I love her too. Isn't she a doll. She yeah. is great. Yeah. She was pretty bawdy on this show. She we, has. We welcomed it. She yeah. has a, that streak. She yeah. certainly does. Yeah. Last but not least, Treat Williams uh, says uh, he wants you both to know that he's deeply offended by the farting scene. Okay. <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> Thank you. He clearly has some intestinal issues. <laughs> and, and are there any more Brando stories to tell? <laughs> well, well, I remember how you started that last good show. Good Brando yeah, stories. Forget about it. Oh, yes, that uh, that Brando fucked Richard Pryor. Yeah, that was his age. icebreaker. Yeah, I'd been yeah. in the room for one minute. And, and yet you came back. He asked me about I did come back. I, re- I take a punch. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's based on a Quincy jo- something Quincy Jones said last year when, I don't know, maybe he's not with why it would, anymore. Why would he fuck Richie Pryor when he had Wally Cox? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that- there you go. You figure that one out. <laughs> I read that Blazing Saddles is for for what this is worth. Michael Bloomberg's favorite movie. Have you heard this? Really? Yes, Mayor Bloomberg. Yes, it yeah. is his favorite. Yeah, movie. and it's a favorite of Barack Obama's. It was the first huh? R-rated movie ever. Saw. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he he gave him uh, that that award. You know, the citizenship. Award. Absolutely. Right. And and Mel was uh, I saw him there. I'm surprised he showed up for that, but he did. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. A little bit about the reception, too, because I've heard you talk, Norman, about seeing lines around the block and going in when it was finally released. And you, oh. you, you saw you were wandering down East Side. Or, yeah, and you Sutton saw, Theater. Sutton, Sutton Theater. Theater. Also yeah. gone. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I, I also saw it in <clears throat> Midtown. And it... Was it the Roxy? Where originally we were Paramount? just originally we were just in two theaters. We were in one in L.A. and and at the Sutton. And a a friend of mine worked in that building where the Sutton was. He he, he worked in some company there. And he called me like at noon on the first day. He said, "There's a line on the block." I said, "You serious?" Wow, <laughs> <laughs> a movie you thought was never going to get released. It was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Madeline Kahn's mother lived in that neighborhood. Oh, yeah. And she would go into the Sutton Theater every day. With a clicker, right? Yeah. <laughs> How many times did you guys go in and see it with an audience? And now uh, it's happened many times over the yeah. years, obviously, as it's, as it's trotted well, out. Well, when it first came out, I would, yeah. you know, you get chummy with the people at the Sutton. So yeah. It's only going for 10 minutes. 
It's because you want to hear of that. Of course, yeah. you wanted the reward. Corruption, you know. Um, and so you know yeah, where the laughs were coming. Yeah, you know, once you know, it's just it's, that's. Uh, I I I may have seen it fifteen times at the Sutton because I'd walk home from past the theater. And years later, we showed it at Radio City. They did some tribute to old Warner Brothers pictures, and they asked Norman Knight to speak at the at Radio City Music Hall, and they screened the movie with six thousand people. And it was the same thing. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. like a greatest hits yeah. album. Now yeah. they, every, here it comes, you know. Watching it again last night, too, and, you know, this this is one of the things that sticks with you is not only is it funny, but it's 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 a very, very broad comedy that's about something. Yes. Yeah. It's about an idea. There have been funny movies like Airplane and Young Frankenstein is brilliant in its own way as well. But this is a movie that, that, that it has, I don't want to make it sound too highfalutin, but it, it's, it's, it's making a statement about the history of this country, it certainly the history yeah. of race relations in this country that we're not that far removed right. from, though we think though we think we are. It 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 tears at the the American myth that the West was was settled by white heroes as instead of on the backs of immigrants. It's got a lot to say. It's courageous. It does, and and it's uh, it's a love affair. After all is said and done. Between these characters, and it was, and that's that's the the beauty of those two performances because you really do believe those guys, yeah, have a real affection for each other. At the ne- end of that never movie. seen a better buddy <clears throat> yeah. buddy no. relationship on screen. And the ending is surreal, where they escape from the movie. Right, <laughs> <laughs> let's drive me off this film. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, just the the limo that. The that, oh, I love all that. The Count Basie. Yeah. I love the breaking of the fourth right. wall. Can't. The Count Basie stuff. And Count Basie stuff. It's just good. great. I just want to read you guys a quote from a website about the movie. This is interesting. Uh, the language the writers use in Blazing Saddles has been culturally shamed out of the national lexicon, in small part because of art like Blazing Saddles, which aggressively shamed and marginalized anyone who acted in such a way. This is written by who? It's it's on a website called Den of Geek, which is actually a, a, a pretty smart website about about filmmaking. Huh. It's it's interesting that <laughs> you know there you go. we're supposed to be in a yeah. post racial age after the after There's the election no of Obama. Remember, post, that whole, yeah. remember that whole remember that whole thing? <laughs> uh, it's it's you know we've had a we had Rod Serling's daughter here, and we were talking about the Twilight Zone, and what a wonderful job he always did of putting. In from important information into entertainment. Mm-hmm. In that case, in science fiction, mm-hmm. you know the monsters that do on Maple Street. I don't know if you know right, this famous right, right. Twilight yeah. Zone episode. House of Un-American Activity. All of that yeah. stuff yeah. being done as a as a science fiction anthology series. You guys managed to do the same thing with a comedy. Yeah. Maybe the broadest comedy ever made <laughs> that has a theme, a theme, yeah. and, an, and, an, and, an, and an ideology. It's something that's important. And, and and worth saying, and I don't. That's why one of the reasons I don't think the film's ever gonna no. go out of style. Even it's, if after forty five years, it hasn't gone out of style yet. It's not gonna go out of style. Yeah, yeah, you. I just you know Mel goes around the country, and does. Yeah, I saw uh, him at Radio City. Does the Radio City does every every time he goes somewhere, it sells out, and you can track the laughs, and it, it's it's. It's a, it's a revelation. It's it's fresh. It's new, and and there are new audiences. For yeah, this that's the thing. Yeah, 
And even in 74, there was a lot going on when you guys were writing it. I mean, Nixon, Watergate had not happened yet. Yeah. The, the Southern strategy was still alive. Dr. King had just been killed, what, seven, eight years before. Yeah. So uh, on some level, it must have occurred to you guys, not only are we making a, I guess this is a question, not only are we making a crazy comedy that's, that's offensive, yeah. but we have a responsibility here? No. You didn't think about that? No, I thought, well, that's what the movie was. The movie was about that. Mm-hmm. Now, how do, you, how do you make it funny and still about that? Does it get in your yeah. way if you think about that? Does it get in Always. the way of the funny? Absolutely. Yeah. You can't second guess yourself. I yeah. want to know why we're not being interviewed by John Meacham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, an important, it's an important movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. I don't want to lose sight of that. You, you, guys, you guys remember somebody named Ralph Manza? Ralph Anybody? Manza? Yeah. No. Or Manza. I bring no. this up. Not Mamza. No, I was working on a terrible sitcom in the 90s, and he walked in <laughs> to audition, and I recognized him immediately. And I got up and I said, you're Ralph Manza. And he had, he, he, you know, a working character actor, had never been recognized by name, only face. And he was thrilled that somebody for the first time knew his name, because I'm so obsessed with Blazing Saddles. He's the Hitler in the commissary. <laughs> they lose me after the bunker scene. Well, yeah. it's got to be any yeah. picture that Mel is involved in that has to be yeah. at least one Of Hitler. course. Yes. Well, That's they, Ralph Manza. Did, he, did huh? he make it possible? Did Mel make it possible for this Jojo Rabbit? That's interesting. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. See now that that film is is coming out, and we're supposedly yeah. living in in a in a climate where there's no room for that movie, and yet did did he ever tell Frankie Lane that 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 he was singing <laughs> for a comedy? That would have ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie Lane thought he was doing a hit mo- <laughs> single, which he was. It's was, was a great song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you want to ask these guys anything else, Gil? Before we let them. We let Norman dry yeah. off? Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm e- dried off. Everything we've brought up has been untrue. <laughs> <laughs> we debunked we, one myth after the other. Andrew was going to tell us why he chose the pseudonym Warren Bogle for uh, for Big Trouble. Well, I wasn't going to put my name on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing. It's had to be some pseudonym after Cassavetes wreaked oh, havoc. Oh, God. Um, no, W.C. Fields used the name Charles C. Bogle on a bunch of scripts that he wrote, because he, he wrote all the own stuff, but he didn't use his name, and he used the name Charles Bogle. So I just switched Charles to Warren. I thought it was hipper. So that's, that's, that's Warren <laughs> Didn't want to go with Alan Smith. Alan Smithy's only for the DGA? No, no. Yeah, yeah it's a cliche. One, a real, a real soon. Uh, a real good one. Yeah. You, you, when you left here last time, you didn't tell us any James Caan or Burt Reynolds stories. Do you, have, um, do you have a quick, even if it's just a, a, a thought or a quick memory? James, Jimmy Kahn had, really had like stage fright. <clears throat> and he, he worked at the last possible second, you know. This is Honeymoon in Vegas. And honeymoon in Vegas, yeah. you know, and he's always bullshitting and he's a great bullshitter and, and he talks, talk you. to tell dirty jokes. Yeah. He's done yeah. dirty jokes, just, <laughs> just, just schmooze. And, and I, I, I realized... I would have to walk with him and listen. And I would walk with him and walk with him and walk with him until we got to where this, the shot was going to be. And then he realized it was all set up. He said, you son of a bitch. <laughs> there was no way. If I was waiting in front of the camper, he'd have 50 other stories about, you know, 
Godfather and Emily at great. Oh, we got to get uh, him on here if he'll yeah. if he'll he do has it. A, he has a wonderful yeah. story about the start of um, the first table reading of Godfather. He says they say start, and Marlon has the first line, and Marlon's like, mm-hmm. nobody can hear a word he's saying. Mm-hmm. So no, it's Marlon Brando. So the, now the other actors, they, they're just all mumbling for three hours. And, <laughs> And Francis Coppola's gone completely crazy. He <laughs> can't, can't hear anything. Um, he had a lot of great stories. Yeah. He, did, he did an interview recently with Alec Baldwin on his podcast. Oh, I have to listen. Yeah. Jimmy really, did? Yeah. 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 It's worth listening to. What about, I'm going to throw one at you, Norman. Um, you worked on a show called The Bay City Amusement Company. Yes. I found Pat McCormick's name in the cast. Pat, <laughs> Pat McCormick. Uh, he was wonderful. He he was he played one of the writers. It was a, a it was a, a Saturday Night Live type situation in San Francisco, and I found somebody brought me this guy. They said you got to see this guy. We were looking for the for the 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 head writer, the head sketch player, and he said this this kid you got to see him. And he comes in, it's Robin Williams. Wow. And, and he just exploded. And I I called, we were in Burbank, and I called NBC. I said, I have him. I have the character. I'm coming down. I, we were there in a half hour. He was brilliantly funny. They asked him to step out of the room, and they said, uh, too crazy. Crazy! Wow! And then the next thing, which even was dumber, they said, "Why don't you do it? You know all the words." To you? Yeah, to me. (laughs) I said, "What? Who are these geniuses?" And and, and, and I, I digress. But uh, (laughs) Pat McCormick came in the first day. I I remember the first joke. He's he he was waving a piece of paper. He said, "I got my license. I can shit in the streets." This is a television show? <laughs> Pat McCormick. This was just a rehearsal. <laughs> oh, a rehearsal. No, and then the second thing he said, he sat down and he, he said, oh, I have Lenny Bruce's old typewriter. It has four extra Fs in it. That's funny. We've <laughs> he heard was, a lot of stories about him on this show. Oh, his, like put, was, putting his newborn baby on a platter right. at, at a party and putting a, gar, a, gar, a garnish around it. And, the st- and drove around. He was a Harvard graduate. Yeah. Drove around in a red... Rolls Royce, and he ended up in the the Writers Guild home. Out, Did he? Out yeah. in uh, supposedly rooming with Stanley with Stanley, Stanley Kramer. Kramer, and so uh, Jack Riley came in, and he he said to Pat, "Oh, I see you finally got a meeting." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Can you imagine living in an old writer's home? That is oh the scariest God, thing I ever yeah, heard. Just the thought yeah, of it. it. The, I couldn't I'd, I'd sleep with one eye open. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe have one more question for each of you. Uh, Timmy Rogers. Any Ring any bells? Oh. You worked with Timmy Rogers on a show called The Wonderful World of Aggravation with Klugman with, and Randall. Oh Does this holy, mean anything? Holy moly. That's a, like yeah. an Alan King. Larry Storch, Alan King? Yeah. No I, memories. Boy, trying yeah. to forget that. I okay. Think. <laughs> <laughs> I about, loved Alan King, by the way. Yeah. Alan King was, uh, I loved him because he loved writers. And he, 
And he owned part of, I think he owned the Eastern Distribution for Tankerigen. Yes, which, he had some booze connection. Did he? Yeah. 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 You want to tell these guys your, your Alan King story? It's worth it. Uh, I remember there was a big show, a big comedy show at Lincoln Center, and he was the MC. And uh, he introduced me. I went up. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was out there in like jeans and a sweatshirt <laughs> and sneakers. And <laughs> as, as I'm walking off and the audience is applauding, uh, Alan King goes back up to the mic, looks at me, stares at me, and then looks at the crowd and goes, When I come up on stage, my hair is combed and coiffed. <laughs> my suit is pressed. My shoes are shined. And then he walks out looking like he rolled around in shit. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Great, folks. <laughs> I want to tell uh, our listeners if you haven't seen Norman's wonderful movie, My Favorite Year. What are you waiting for? By the way, we've had we had you, we had Macy here, we had uh, Richard Benjamin here. Right. We have put the word out about this wonderful movie. But well, we are now developing um, a TV series based on it. Wonderful. Yes, with Barry Levinson and Tom Fontana. But you couldn't get two yeah. better guys. That's the greatest. What a, what a fantastic movie. Oh, it's great. So many yeah, levels. Yeah. We also have to recommend, we didn't talk about the in-laws, but, you know, we could do we could do oh. whole episodes about these wonderful movies. If our listeners, if you haven't seen the in-laws, what are you waiting for? Uh, and what are you doing listening to this show? And uh, Andrew's wonderful It Could Happen to You, which I think of as the best Frank Capra movie that he never made. Bless your heart. It's terrific. And it's a great valentine to this city we, we all uh well, thank you. We all uh, yeah. we all live in. Um, that's all I got, Gil. Yeah. Okay. Unless you want to tell Norman about Cosby and the Asian models, we can get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Last time we were doing John MacGyver imitation. Oh yeah, yeah. I was just him with your John MacGyver. Okay. <laughs> Everything must be run according to schedule. We will have no slackers. Working here, I run this company like the captain of a ship. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's sick. Just kills me. It's sick. Have you heard of Peter Lorre? Yes. Yeah. 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 MacGyver is so perverse. I know. I've heard other Peter Lorre's. Nobody does no. John MacGyver. <laughs> John MacGyver didn't do it. Yeah. At the Bill Cosby story is the writers of the Cosby Show told me that he had an hour. Set apart in the schedule in the day where uh, it he teaches uh, comedy to Asian models. <laughs> so you, <laughs> I, Norman's I, had his own Cosby uh, <laughs> stories. Yeah. Intensive, yeah. intensively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you say? It explains why you see so many. <laughs> so That's many beautiful Asian so many comedians. So funny Asian models. <laughs> like the comedy clubs are packed with Asian uh, models. I got in trouble. We had Griffin Dunn here, and I did not ask any questions about Johnny Dangerously. I had I had lunch with Griffin. He's the best. Week. He's really so. Well. I have and to... he's in he's in This Is Us now. Yes, he's he's oh, doing all he? kinds of yeah. stuff. 
Yeah, he's I, great. So uh, my fans, uh, our listeners, will get mad at us if we don't if I don't ask one Johnny Dangerously story. Uh, was it based loosely based on Manhattan melodrama? The no. Clark Gable, William Powell. No. Okay. No, not at all. Okay. It was uh, the, a guy named Bud Austin, who was head of Paramount Television, said, "Hey, you did Blazing Saddles. Why not do Blazing Tommy Guns?" And that that was the genesis. And that was it. That was it. what a cast in that movie. Great. Great. It was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, it's it it's resonates. It's on. It, it, they tell me on social media, it's a big yeah, big. Hit. They got after me yeah. for not asking Johnny. By the way, Andrew, since you were last here, uh, the the stories of the Brando phone call levels. Yes. The, our our listeners, I'll send you more. I'm still getting mad really? about it. Is it the, the, the tuna fish. The la tuna fish. The tuna and, fish one. Tuna fish yeah. two. <laughs> You had to be there. It's all true. Oh, this was fun. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. It's just so easy to interview you guys and talk yes. to you. And we're we're sorry. Nothing that we said was true. <laughs> <laughs> it's better that way. If it was true, it'd be so depressing. You guys say, "Oh yeah, that's right. That's right." <laughs> You'll come back. We have a million more questions about sure. John Cleese yeah. and and uh, and Joe Bologna yeah. and so much, so much stuff. We could go on for hours. And this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-hosts, Frank Santo Padre, and our return guest, Andrew Bergman and Norman Steinberg, who, among a million other credits, uh, helped write the film Blazing Saddles, which is celebrating its 45th fifth anniversary you guys have officially been friends for 45 years we yes, have pretty good yeah more 47 years more than we right. met in yeah. 70, came out in 45 we, we met in 72 right yeah. yeah you throw a great party too by the way we're older gentlemen <laughs> gentlemen older gentlemen older jewish i mean high middle age <laughs> i'm approaching high middle age. we love talking to you guys thanks for schlepping out in the rain yeah, uh, yeah, enough. Okay. Next time we get a cab service. Okay. Let's step up a little. <laughs> Talk to him. <laughs> he was then the goddess of desire. Set men on fire. I have this power. Morning, noon, and night, it's drink and dancing. Some quick romancing. And then a shower. Stage door Johnny's constantly surround me. They always hound me with one request. Who can satisfy their lustful habit? I'm not a rabbit. I need some rest. I'm tired. Sick. And tired of love I've had my fill of love From below and above Tired Tired of being admired Tired of love uninspired Let's face it, I'm tired Too soon. <laughs> Writers, 
time high Tired of playing the game Ain't it a crying shame I'm so tired God damn it, I'm exhausted <laughs> Hello, cowboy, what's your name? Tex, ma'am Tex, ma'am Tell me, tax man, are you in show business? No. Well, then why don't you get your friggin' feet up? <laughs> Hello, handsome. Is that a ten-gallon hat? Or are you just enjoying the show? <laughs> Everything below the waist is kaput! Oh!